With your help, we can continue to fight for freedom. This is not possible without your generosity. Join our quest for the truth and our freedom and donate today. Simply go to tntradio.live. This is Weekends with Jason Olborn on today's News Today's Talk, TNT. Welcome back to the fourth and final hour of the Sunday edition of Weekends with Jason Olborn. I am delighted that you've been able to join, comment, share, like, and all of those things that social media allows us to do to tell our friends how much we're enjoying what we're learning. And it has been a blockbuster of a show today. And just to recap, in the first hour, we had Billy T. Kahika, who is a filmmaker, documentary maker. He's also been a soldier, a police officer. He's a pastor and a political candidate. And if you want something done, you ask a busy person and the film he's made, riveroflies.co.nz, is where you can check out his work there. Also, we had Kathy O'Brien, an MK Ultra survivor, and probably the happiest person I've ever interviewed. Quite incredible, the outlook that lady has. An incredible story, of course. And in the last hour, Professor Emeritus uh, Ramesh Thakur, an incredible story of where he was in the United Nations, left the UN, and then has been, well, a pretty harsh critic of what they're up to. Quite incredible. And now we're going to meet a brand new guest who I would call an emerging star. Quite incredible. Her story is one that is coming out of necessity. The idea where you just go about your life doing your best work, your best job, trying to just figure out how things are going. You dedicate probably more than half of your life to a particular idea. And then one day it all comes crashing down through no fault of your own, but it forces you to do something completely different and start a whole new way of looking at the world. And Anita Krishna's time, goodness me, couldn't be at a more important time in history. And I'm so looking forward to speaking to her in a moment. I'll just bring read a brief bio for you. Anita worked for Canadian mainstream media for 20 years at Global CTV and City TV. And when questioning and speaking out against the false and deceptive COVID narrative, She was ousted from her position as a newscast director at Global News in Vancouver. Well, Anita, let's bring you in right now. Welcome to Weekends. Oh, hi, Jason. Thank you so much. It's so lovely to be with you. Oh, it's great to have you on the show, Anita. And uh, it's uh, it's strange, isn't it, that out of adversity comes growth and you were thrust into that situation rather unexpectedly, I uh, got the opportunity to watch uh, the, the, the video of this particular incident where you are in real time being asked if you had read the uh, journalist uh, practices. You mm-hmm. weren't even a journalist at the time. It kind of felt like I was watching an entrapment in process. Can you tell us about the circumstances that led to the situation where after 24 years of doing this work, you were discarded over something that was probably what you should have been doing in the first place? <laughs> oh, that's a very good way to put it, indeed. I mean, I guess uh, for anyone that doesn't know me, um, I just worked. I worked at Global News, which is a pretty big news network here in Canada. Basically, our main three networks are CBC, um, CTV, and Global. And Global is a big one, especially here on the West Coast in the province that I live in, in British Columbia. It was the number one station. And um, I mean, I can I can tell you the story of all the COVID lunacy, but basically, I started to question things and question things, and everything that we were reporting. Um, 
obviously, <laughs> we can see now at the start of 2024, we were not wrong. I don't even need to repeat everything. Everybody knows the lunacy that the mainstream media said, right? So when I started to question that, of course, like everyone, we felt alone. We felt ousted. We felt ostracized. We felt like we were doing something bad by even just thinking. There's no thinking allowed, and the thinking is wrong think. And so I went to... um I went to a rally because I was so concerned mainly about miscarriages. I just don't even see how anybody could tell anybody or pregnant women. For me, it was pregnant women. The minute I rolled a story advising pregnant women to take a vaccine that had, what, one month of clinical testing and people actually died in the clinical trials, which is also something we didn't report. Then we're now telling women who are carrying children to go take this non-vaccine. So then I go to a rally and I didn't go representing global. I just went because I wanted to know what the heck is going on because there were some calls that there were miscarriages occurring. And uh, there was a rally outside of the hospital. Oddly enough, that hospital was not the hospital that they were talking about. So that was a bit confusing. But anyway, I ended up going on the stage because I said, oh, hi, you know, I'm here and I just want to know what's going on. And I ended up talking to a nurse and she asked me where I worked. And then I told her and because that's the truth. And she's like, oh, my God, like, she was completely excited to have me there. And um, then I just said a few words. I just said, I don't know what's going on. I don't understand why we are reporting the way we were reporting. And I just hope that things are going to get better. And I really went to sort of see if I could sniff around and find something out about these miscarriages because I wanted to, do to know. Now, I was a director. I wasn't a reporter. The network should have really sent the reporter, you know, or, you know, that's this is it was absolutely absurd. And so I got suspended and like hauled over, raked over the coals. And I told that I was violating social, uh, violating journalistic principles by going. Now, how on earth would I be violating journalistic principles by going? Is it better to just, just to not send anybody and not tell the public any anything? And so I knew that I was going to get in a lot of trouble. I didn't know how big everything was going to get, but I have a friend who's a camera guy and he recorded that interview, which I've put on my channel, which I sent your producer. It's a video not too many people have seen. I don't make a big deal about it, but it is a very good video, you know, and that tells a lot of my story and how how I got here, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and and just watching that video and the story, and it, it takes a very similar turn, whoever the inquirer was, it was almost like they were trying to encircle or entrap you into saying something that they would go, oh, okay, now we're going to remove you. It, was, it just felt very intimidating and very tricky. Uh, and, and it was very, very disappointing because um, you're holding this massive document, this journalistic principles that you're meant to have somehow learnt through osmosis. And there was another person in the background there that was uh, trying again the same process and you're saying well hang on a second uh, i'm not even a journalist in the first instance but i'm actually following what it says here um it, it's this awkward process and again as you said the idea that as journalists journalists you're meant to inquire how can ignorance or or, or or not looking at a particular subject the biggest story of the time how are you mm -hmm. supposed to not learn what's going on by not asking questions um it, 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 it's almost completely at odds and I feel like that if we were to fast forward five years time perhaps it is that these mainstream news channels pay a very heavy price 
for the lack of journalistic integrity they actually did at the time by uh, trying to change everything into George Orwell's 1984. Yeah, um, it, it was very, it's very interesting to hear what you think about that video. Uh, I should actually uh, retweet that video for anyone who's going to be interested. But like, it's interesting to hear you say you, you, it sounds like they were trying to trap you. Like I said before, a lot of people haven't seen that video because I didn't make a big deal about it because I'm nervous. At the same mm. time, I'm scared. Yeah. You know, like telling all that I tell and everything because I'm um, a whistleblower, basically. Right. But they are trying to get me to admit, like, as if I'm some sort of little child or something, that I was doing something wrong. I yes. went to go ask why we are not reporting about myth possible miscarriages and why we are telling pregnant women to take this non-vaccine. Of course, at the time, I didn't call it that. So uh, for me to get into trouble, like th that was my operations manager. He's not an editorial person either so he's he but he's my boss and he's trying to rake me over the coals on a side note that boss is my friend like he was my friend for so long and I was really good friends with his wife who loved me basically and she also works there these are lovely people but he actually so somebody told him you she's a problem you're gonna have to silence her or something or get me into trouble but even after that meeting they still didn't fire me i still went back to work after my suspension it was soon after i got fired but um you know can you imagine you want to fire me because i am asking questions and this is about the safety of unborn children yes that's huge Absolutely. never mind never mind all the other things about your own safety, safety of adults, right? You can be 50 years old and take this and have a bad outcome. You can be 11, you can be 17. All these jabs have a myriad of, of uh, side effects and adverse reactions and even death. I mean, I think I can say that here on this network that, that you know, I don't have to, uh, uh, approve anymore right like it's pretty much people people know this is happening and the fact that people are not outraged and people are not rioting in the streets and going hey you lied to me because i think people still don't really know because you cannot believe the news lied yes exactly and and this is something that for many people is still a bridge too far and can't quite work out that these institutions that we're meant to trust would ever deceive them and so the the wake-up call despite the fact that this is a, an information war that's been going on for more than the COVID era but a lot longer than that is something that we struggle to understand how it is that people just aren't interested is it because they're too busy or is is it something else <laughs> entirely and that's a great big question um I, I wanted to just circle back a little bit to your role when you're sitting in the director's chair directing the news and just the general feeling in the control room for example when you're putting out these stories and you're shaking your head is there any conversation in the control room and perhaps anyone sort of agreeing with what you're feeling so that it's not just a closed shop you know because i'm a director like it's really fast paced and really really busy and i don't have time to like uh to share my thoughts properly but there are many times i did say a couple of sentences i mean i mean in the like when i was on the air it was hard to to say things right um but um you know one time i said to a producer when the vaccine passports came out i was like 
this is ridiculous. Like, do you not feel that this is a little like Nazi-ish, you know, like it's like a yellow star and or you got to show your papers like apartheid in South Africa. I remember saying that during a, a commercial break. And this one producer was just like, Anita, come on. No, it's not. Now, how can you think that? It's totally different. And I'm like, well, how is it totally different? How is this different? Like this was all everybody was made to to um, think that all the horrible things that were being done were OK because we're doing these things in the name of safety. Right. So this isn't like everybody's rounding up a race of people or and, and taking them to the gas chambers and, all, and concentration camps and things like that. So people don't. But this is this is as there was South uh, um, apartheid in South Africa. This is medical apartheid. But you are selfish if you don't want to take this job. That's what it was at the time, right? How can you be so selfish? How could you want to kill your grandma? Oh, you know, how could you know you you're you're selfish? And that's how and that's how you were made to feel. And also you're made to feel crazy for even questioning something. Now, the, the question that we need to ask at the start of 2024 is why is that why is it that these people didn't question it? Why did you go jump and take a vaccine? a non-vaccine that was put together in eight months. What kind of lunatic are you that you went and did that? But they just they just go, no, well, I think the tide is turning around because like there used to be quite an arrogance. Well, no, I'm right. Well, show me your evidence. No, well, I haven't heard anything about this. I haven't heard anything about that when you talk to regular people. But now I think it's turning because they must be so embarrassed or they don't want to talk about it. Obviously, if you've done it, do you really want to think about it now? You know, but it's how great, is it that you leapt to go and do that? Did you have questions? A, such an interesting point, isn't it? Because it's uh, now that we've got past it, because people now realizing that maybe they should have performed some of their own due diligence. Uh, and perhaps that was as much as for the process of informed consent of just attending the doctor's surgery and the doctor saying, well, you should do it. And that's the end of it. Most people have uh, the power of suggestion there. They get ushered into another room. The nurse is there who's done, you know, 30 uh, jabs in, in, in the morning and off they go. It's not even a second thought. And it's kind of being part of this sort of battery hen process. Uh, process that, um, you know, strength in numbers, so to speak, uh, yet it goes against everything that you ever understand. Who takes a medicine to protect someone else? For example, that was just one of those absurdities. The idea that informed consent was just something that was dismissed and you're a fool for even thinking that you deserved the opportunity to have it. But then to fast forward and realise that uh, in certain countries uh, and in certain places, there were massive exemptions given to people in positions of power that no one else was allowed to. And the idea that it was sold, of course, safe and effective uh, when there was absolutely no evidence to suggest that they would even possibly be able to say that given that there was no long-term studies at all and it just goes on and on and on and it's a very very frustrating uh, situation like you've said I, I look forward uh, to another situation I remember having a conversation with a family friend who once said to me in in different circumstances the idea of bankruptcy scares a lot of people when they're financially in a lot of trouble and yet it's the fear of bankruptcy that's actually worse than the actual event itself. And the idea being that once someone declares bankruptcy, the phone stops ringing, people stop knocking on the door and asking for money. They've satisfied the legal requirements and all of a sudden their debts go away. They're allowed to still go to work. They're allowed to still earn money unless it's not a super amount of money, but enough to survive. And they're allowed to keep the money that they don't spend. And all of a sudden, the people who this person was saying to me that take bankruptcy, for example, realize what a great decision that they'd actually made that they can get on with 
with learning from their errors, getting on with getting on with their life. And at the end of the day, it's just a loss that is just dissipates into the system. And so it is that I wonder that the shame of people realising that they have made a mistake and not wanting to realise it, but it gets to a certain stage where it will become the norm somewhere in the future where people will say, yes, I was coerced or something like that happened. And we are seeing that, of course, given the, um, the, the uptake of boosters as we go on, the numbers dropping so quickly. I was looking at a um, at some statistics from a, a small country, and I, I can't remember if it was the Maldives, but it was something like the first uh, was 88% of the country took it, second time around it dropped to 84 the third dropped to 17 and the fourth was 0.35%. That's a massive drop in a period that couldn't have been any longer than nine months from start to finish, perhaps 12 months. And that's how quickly people realised that something else was very, very strange. I've just looked at the time and we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to have more here with Anita Krishna after the break. You're watching and listening to TNT. Jeremy now on TNT Radio. Being South African, I'm, I know the situation and it's incredibly dire. Basically, our farmers, mostly white, have been under attack for years and years and years. And when I say attack, I mean that physically, don't I? Yes. Um, since the dawn of democracy in South Africa, since 1994, we had an average of uh, one farm attack every second day. Um, so it averages around uh, 175 to 190 farm attacks every year. And we had a farm murder on average every fifth day. Um, but over the last few months, both of those numbers have picked up. Murders in other sectors of society are not accompanied by the same levels of brutality and torture as you will find in farm murders. Jeremy now on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. God's truth is enduringly true throughout all the generations. It transcends culture. The church is always going to be an embattled people. If it's swimming with the tide, it's not being the church of Jesus Christ. Look to the past, learn from the past, because the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. China has more than 200 confirmed cases of coronavirus, it's called. The entire state of California ordered to stay at home. That's 40 California has some of the strictest policies leveled against churches. Gavin Newsom's executive order threatens jail time and a $1,000 a day fine. Government that stopping people from going to church, Dr. Fauci. When I went into the White House, when I sat in on the task force meetings, was a shocking level of gross incompetence. The mortality rate from the virus was 0.2%. You know, 99.8% survival, rather than the 3 or 4% mortality that the, the people are saying at the time. The culture and the understanding of the people of Grace Church has always been, not only do you obey government, but you honor government. Thousands of people in the streets, but you can't have church. The hypocrisy of letting people riot it helped us all understand one thing. This is not what they say it is. By meeting, we're testifying the government has no jurisdiction here. I was arrested and driven to a maximum security prison. The government has obviously uh, turned up the heat on churches. My daddy. When the churches fall silent, the only religion left is the state. We needed to make a biblical statement because we always put ourselves under the authority of the Word of God. LA County threatened Pastor John MacArthur with jail time and arrest. We were going to be sued. 
They wanted Grace Church shut down. We wanted to go on the offensive and attack the health order as unconstitutional. This wasn't about health and safety. This was all about control and opposition to religious freedom. As the government gets more corrupt and more corrupt, snitches get rewards. Its totalitarian control has to increase. You have to have a mask on. And as they shut down any attacks against them, this is not about freedom or personal choice. The last thing standing is going to be the church. Today's News Talk and the Voice of Freedom. That's what this country is all about. TNT Radio. Welcome back to Weekends. And you have joined in at the exact right time to meet Anita Krishna. She was a former TV director for Global News, a mainstream news service in Canada. And she was let go after 24 years of this type of work, this service, just because she was bucking the system doing what journalists are meant to do, and that's to ask questions. Anita, can you explain what it's like in a busy mainstream newsroom about the process of news gathering, particularly in this era when you're not allowed to look at certain things, but on other ideas, you've got to go as hard as you possibly can to sell some form of narrative? Boy, oh boy, well, they went as hard as they could, didn't they? We hammered you day and night. I mean, especially I mean, on every single newscast, right? So where I worked, we had a 24-hour news channel. A lot of that was pre-taped, but uh, we ran all the press conferences with the um, public health officer and, the, you know, the minister of health and all that. So that we did long press conferences, both provincially and federally. We had newscasts like morning, noon and night, um, and we had a national sh show. But I'll tell you something like, you know, this, you know, most people, when you work in a newsroom, let's say there is a really bad fire somewhere. So basically, you know, you hear about a fire, you send the camera, you get your eye. Nowadays, you get people to send you video. But back in the day, we'd send the camera and they'd shoot the video and run it back to the station or taxi it back. I've been doing this so long that I remember people putting tapes in a taxi and stuff like that. And then you phone the fire chief and you go, what happened here? And how this fire start? And then you get a clip and that's how you make the story. And then you say, what happened? Oh, it was started by uh, somebody left the stove on or it was a child playing with matches or that's how you news gather locally. Right. So it's pretty basic. You hear about something, you get the best visuals you can. You talk to witnesses and then you talk to an authority and you try to balance out the story no matter what it is. You get both sides, if it's political or whatever. That's how you news gather. And then obviously we have wires. So at uh, Global, we used Associated Press. And then we have affiliate networks that we work with. And so we worked with NBC and we had CBS where we could run their stories, et cetera, et cetera. So that's the process of news gathering. So we do our local stuff and then you do your international stuff pretty much the same way any newsroom works. And um, that didn't really change when COVID came. We still went through our normal frenzy. You know, it's always a very frenzied environment. And we still continue to do the same thing. Look at the wires, do this, um, go with what the network is saying. But but so nothing was different. So that's what I'm going to say to that people should understand. It's not like we're a bunch of like uh, uh, devious people in the newsroom and go, oh, we're going to lie to everybody because this is what we're doing now. The news hypes up as it is because that's our job. 
if it's like a, a fire or like a storm season or whatever, we're going to scare you, right? That's what the job, that's kind of how news is very dramatic anyway. But when COVID came, there was nothing really different about anything we did. We followed the wires, we did this, we did that, but we we seem to be maybe running a script um, that I don't know how it happens so fast. I think that was the thing, like the speed of it, where you're like, all of a sudden we have those, um, you know, social distancing and a PPE and, um, uh, you know, all the little terms that we started to say in the beginning and and the six feet apart and the, all the things, uh, the all the crazy things that we were doing and about keeping people safe and, and, and cases, all of a sudden we're reporting all these cases and stuff like that. You know, how did we manage to scare people so quickly? Like everything was like, you know, we're going to shut down. We're going to lock down. You're being advised not to travel outside of Canada. You know, you've got to self-isolate. Like, and all these terms came like day one, day two, and then like it was in no time we're closing the border. And it's like, well, how many people have this? How yeah. bad is it? Where did it come from? Oh, well, don't talk about where it came from. Forget about it. Forget about the Wuhan lab. We're not going to talk about that. It came from the seafood wet market. Have you seen the way people eat bat soup? You know, it was like that, which just sounds more racist than saying that it came from Wuhan, the uh, laboratory. Yes. And, and a lot, and, and on a side note, a lot, a much has been made about the term lab leak, lab leak, that it was a mm. leak, which sort of sometimes to me implies it was an accidental leak. How could yes. this be accidental if there is was even a virus at all? I mean, who the hell even knows anything at this point now? You know, like half of this stuff was done by ridiculous, ridiculous PCR false positives. Half this stuff was probably psychological. Half this stuff was those tests you used to have to spit in, which I had to spit in once before I went to work. I, 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 they wouldn't let me in the building unless I spat in a tube and it said COVID no, you know, COVID negative. What on earth? What a, what a, you know? And anyway, so I think that people working there probably just didn't think at any, they were doing anything different. They're not following any sort of alternative media. So if, if um, you see a report on the wires and it says, and it says officials, WHO says um, that lab, lab leak is highly unlikely, then you're going to go, what's unlikely? Because this is not, that's what you're going to report and tell the public. But you don't tell the backstory. The backstory is that the WHO had six people go and investigate. And one of those people that investigated was Peter Daszak, who had a hand, who, who received funding from Anthony Fauci and the NA and Francis Collins and what have you. How come I know that? Well, everybody knows that now, but I knew that back then. It's like, how come we're not reporting this? Yeah. And then when I would say things like that, I would just get told to shut up. Please stop talking. That's what uh, would happen. Absolutely. And and the, the Dash Act story is just the most preposterous, isn't it? It's like having the Hamburglar uh, put in charge of, uh, of a McDonald's break-in. I mean, it's it's just absolutely insanity. And, and I'm yeah. so glad that you brought up Lab Leak because, again, it's another nonsense uh, term that's used almost as a placeholder for when it is determined that this thing was uh, created by a human being or beings uh, and therefore, oh, well, it was an accident that it got out. Absolutely impossible that that would be the case, particularly when you have the evidence of a Agenda 201 a couple of months before the, 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 it, it all broke out, particularly pointing to a coronavirus, vaccine hesitancy, lockdowns, etc. You couldn't have scripted it any more beautifully or perfectly. Uh, and then, of course, you rewind to 2017 and Anthony Fauci 
telling the world that uh, there would be a certain surprise attack. Well, how could it be surprised if you know about it, Tony? <laughs> but uh, he's, he's still uh, he's yeah. still at large. Yes, he is. He's, there's, what are the consequences for him? Hmm. You know, I know a lady who um, who ended up getting such a bad blood clot in her leg, her leg had to be amputated after she took a vaccine. And I know another lady, like, I don't know her personally, but I know um, a friend, the, the friend who told me this. She took the jab because she's a healthcare worker. She has little children. She has to support them. So she took took it out of pressure. She's in a wheelchair. You might as well have just gotten the damn cold. One lady lost her leg. One lady's in a wheelchair. And meanwhile, that Anthony Fauci's walking around healthy as a you-know-what, like healthy as a horse, probably taking ivermectin or whatever, you know. You know what, I'm joking. But you know what I mean? Like, what are the consequences? Oh, there's no consequences. This, um, there's it, no consequences for this, the anchors. This is, this is the hardest thing at all, isn't it? It's the time waiting for something to change and for uh, investigations to turn into justice. There are a lot of uh, inquiries, of course, starting up around the world. Unfortunately, having the government investigate the government is not the way that it will work. So uh, fortunately, here in Australia, there's a move towards a citizens-led uh, COVID Royal Commission that has the backing of the Australian Senate. New Zealand, there is an independent COVID citizens inquiry as well, which is interesting. What's the latest that's happening in Canada in terms of uh, COVID inquiries as such? Oh, we've we had a well, we've had a couple of things. We had a citizens hearing and that happened. Uh, I worked on that and that was in, oh gosh, that was 2022 that we had that. So we had fantastic testimony from anyone that you can imagine. And that's where you, you know, I can actually tweet a link of that out too because that's the thing that a lot of people haven't seen. Um, and there were people telling all their stories of miscarriages, of death, of, you know, everybody from all walks of life uh, telling their stories. So we had a citizen's hearing. And then later on last year, we had a pretty big citizen's inquiry. And I testified at the inquiry, as did another CBC reporter, Marianne Clowick. Her testimony was amazing. I, I suggest that people to check that out also. But um because our stories were so similar that you couldn't make it up. Even though I was a director, she was a reporter, right? Um, so we had a big citizen-led, citizen-funded inquiry into everything. Had the best of the best, you name it. Uh, Catherine Austin Fitz testified. I mean, every doctor you can imagine testified. There it is. It's all there on public record. So when we are all long gone, at least history will show if it doesn't get erased by somebody that that this is this was our testimony under oath as to what happened and the lunacy about these ridiculous ridiculous things that everybody went through so i am glad that other countries are now doing the same thing the problem is we've done it and then we're ignored there are no consequences there is no accountability from the people that did this to us that is the hurdle we have to come through this year. I am not dancing around this issue anymore, right? Like, I don't know what, what, what we can do. Like, you, we've hit this point where we are right. So now what? Very, very Do you have good. any answers? <laughs> very, very, very good point. And, and well, the, sometimes um, the question provides the answer. Uh, it, well, obviously it does, but in the sense that if we ask the, 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 the answer is in the question, I should say. Um, 
What is the latest? When you look at Canadian politics, right, you've got Trudeau, uh, the Prime Minister, polling around about 24 or 25%. It's just an abysmal result. It's no different to other leaders around the world who led their, their countries through this period. You've got an opposition leader who who looks, uh, well, he's around about probably this, maybe a little bit younger than Trudeau, but he looks uh, energised and refreshing. He speaks beautifully and a real yeah. alternative. But is there political will with Pierre Poiliev to take this further in terms of the COVID inquiry? Oh, I mean, he's getting a lot. Listen, we will take a head of lettuce as the prime minister over the current prime minister. Anybody has got to be better than what we have had. I mean, he clearly has shown he doesn't care about us. He doesn't respect us. And if we oppose him, he'll ignore us and then call call us racist. You know, so so there's that. We have one guy, you know, the opposition leader who I I am fond of, Pierre Polyev. He's very smart. I would like to see him. I love the way he handles himself. I just love his. He's got it going on in the terms of how he can handle the media, and he's got the knowledge. He also gets pretty. Um, uh, raked over the coals in the media also and criticized because our gov our media here is owned by the liberal government, right? So we don't make Pierre look good. Now, some people don't like him because there is some rumblings that he was involved in the WEF. Maybe, you know, but then he has like disassociated him himself from them. And he's quite clearly said that. I think he's the only guy that's probably going to make it. So I think he will be our next prime minister. It's just that some people criticize him for not speaking up more more lately about COVID and some of his other policies, I guess, like about Ukraine and stuff like that seem to be not not what 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 we are looking for, right? But but I would happily take him any day over what we've got now. And he does need to speak up a little bit more now and he can lead the path. It's just that all these politicians play have to play a game. Otherwise you're out of the game. So, yeah, I think you've absolutely nailed that. And I'm glad that you brought that up because uh, it's a very complicated issue. In the last hour, uh, Professor Ramesh was talking about the idea at the United Nations where he was once uh, an assistant secretary general, which is a huge role. He said the United Nations is where reality meets idealism, uh, which is a, a stunning statement. I'd never heard that before. And to come from somebody inside is wonderful. But again, it's this ideology that's coming. There's the other part of this political spectrum, it's, and it's very complicated. The idea that you kind of have to play both sides of the fence in order to uh, try and get yourself into a position where it's a two-horse race and then go on to win uh, a seat or office, as it might be in Poiliev's case, and become the next Prime Minister of Canada. But there's so many things that you can say, and then there's so many things that you can't, and it's kind of dictated on by the collective understanding in any given moment. And that's what something that always confused me in the Trump presidency. We, we knew that he was pro-free will and choice, but then he has Operation Warp Speed. And a lot of people have a real problem with that, but he mm -hmm. never, ever said it's it's compulsory. And now at uh, at various different events, he's saying that we're going to, uh, if there's ever a lockdown uh, at a school or a university or whatever, we're just going to just cut funding completely. So that's a very, very different take on it. But I just feel that there's this grey area walking down the middle of it. But at the same time, these people must know that there's more action to take. And yet, what is going to be the trigger? Is it going to be people's protesting 
Probably not. We've seen how hard we worked at doing that. Maybe it's going to be a different turn of events. The WHO, for example, we learned yesterday on this show through James Roguski, who said that it looks like they're going to miss this January deadline to have their amendments ready, which miss, means they missed the May um, update of the international health regulations. So therefore, they won't get passed this year. That pushes them into 2025. And one would think that if Trump is re-elected, the first thing he's going to do is walk out of the WHO good and proper, which therefore it, it further the fractures, what's happening over there. So it's complicated, um, but it, it is literally a, a game of inches and, and a war of information that is, uh, it, it should be complicated at this stage rather than being simplistic, because the last thing that anyone needs is to be taken out of the game uh, by the media that's preying on any possible thing that it can do to try and politically uh, uh, white hand, as we say, uh, put the termites in and destroy a particular campaign. We've seen it in the Trump campaign with the legal cases, et cetera, and yet his polling numbers only go up. There's, there's, a, there's a lot to unpack in all of that. What we'll do is we'll pause for a moment. We'll take our last break for the hour and we'll come back with Anita Krishna here on Weekends with Jason Olborn. You're watching and listening to TNT. From weather and traffic reports to news of political developments, we turn to journalists for the information we need to live our daily lives. Journalists around the world provide the news that is essential for democracy, for personal freedom, and for safety and stability. Yet their ability to report freely and safely is under attack like never before. So many journalists are paying with their lives. They face exponential risks and they've already paid a heavy toll. Death threats, online harassment, and physical attacks are becoming a daily experience of journalists in all countries. We just want people to be safe, to be able to get our readers the information that they need to make informed decisions. They checked my phone and realized that it was Pegasus. I feel myself like I'm naked at the street. These charges were politicized from the start. Facts win. Truth wins. Justice wins. C'est énorme pour moi d'être là, d'être libre. Surtout que je m'y attendais pas du tout. Stand with the free press. Stand with journalists whose reporting won't be silenced. Press freedom is your freedom. Many pollution sources can affect the air you breathe. From power plants and vehicles to dust and wildfires. Knowing more about local air quality can help you protect your health. If you're thinking about buying an air sensor, EPA has a series of videos to help you get the most out of it. Learn how EPA collects and uses regulatory data, how EPA communicates health messaging, and how to interpret the readings from your sensor. Visit epa.gov air sensor toolbox. The intersection of information and conversation. Weekends with Jason Olborn on today's News Talk TNT. Welcome back. 2024 is an election year in Russia, in India, in Canada, 
and the United States, there is a, an air of political change in the air, and it's something that we've probably never seen before. Anita, Pierre Poiliev is, as we talked about before the break, seemingly a breath of fresh air. What I'd like to do now is play this famous to an extent, clip mm -hmm. of the apple orchard where he is being grilled by someone who doesn't seem to be on his side and is coming from the mainstream. Let's play a little bit of this clip and see what you think. We're no longer going to accept that this or that gatekeeping bureaucracy stands in the way of obvious common sense solutions. Um, the It is unacceptable that 20,000 doctors can't work in Canada when we have a massive shortage. And when people come to me and say, yeah, but this or that clerk or bureaucracy is not going to be happy, that's life. Right. There's going to be a lot of vested interests in bureaucracies that are going to be very unhappy when I'm prime minister. Okay. Um, on, the, on the topic, I mean, in terms of your sort of strategy currently, you're obviously taking the populist uh, pathway. Um, what does that mean? <laughs> well, ap appealing appealing to people's uh, more emotional levels, I would guess. Um, I mean, what certainly, do you mean by certainly, that? you Give certainly you tap certainly you tap uh, very strong ideological language quite frequently. Like what? Uh, left wing, you know, this and that, right wing. They, you know, I mean, it's that that type I of ideological never talk thing. About, I never really talk about left but or right. Anyways, a lot I of people don't really believe in that. Okay, a lot of people would would say that you're simply taking a page out of the. Donald Trump uh, well, like which people would say that well I'm sure a great many Canadians but like who <laughs> I don't know who but well you're um, the one who asked the question so yeah, how, you must know somebody right. <laughs> okay I'm, I'm sure there's some out there but anyways the, the point of this the point of this question is I mean why should why should Canadians trust you with their vote given you know not not just the sort of ideological inclination in terms of taking the page of Donald Trump's book, but what are you also talking about? What page? What page? Can you give me <laughs> okay. a page? Give me the page. You keep <laughs> in, saying. In terms, in terms of turning things quite dramatically, in terms of of Trudeau and and the left wing and all of this, I mean, you 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 make quite a you know. It's, he doesn't it's even quite have a, a question. play that you make on it. Mm. So I'm. I'm not just sure. I don't under, I don't know what your question okay. is. Okay, then forget that. Why should Canadians <laughs> trust you with their vote? Common sense. Okay. common sense for, for a change. We're going to make common sense common in this country. We don't have any common sense in the current government. You know, the guy prints $600 billion, grows our money supply by 32% in three years. That's growing the money eight times faster than the economy. No wonder we have the worst inflation in four decades. I'm going to cap spending, cut waste, so that we can balance the budget and bring down inflation and interest rates. You'll want to be able to pay your mortgage again. You want to be able to afford rent. Then you have to vote for Pierre Polyev because I'm the only one with a common sense plan that will bring go. back the buying power of your paycheck. I think we'll come, um, uh, second, come back on that. Second, mm -hmm. I'm going to make work pay. Right now we punish work. You know, they're, always, they're asking why doesn't anybody want to work because work doesn't pay. Mm -hmm. How about that? That is uh, quite an incredible clip there. Um, Mm -hmm. Liliev looks like a prime minister in waiting if ever I've seen one. But to simplify politics down to common sense and make that poor man look as foolish as, as he did, despite mm -hmm. the fact that he'd been given all the talking points, Anita, uh, and mm -hmm. yet failed dismally and 
Poiliev with the sunglasses and the munch on the apple. It's just world-class uh -huh. politics, it, isn't it? It's Well, it's so rare because people people try to be very formal when answering questions and very serious and, and defensive. But if you actually just go, what page? What are you talking about? I've never said that. I think that that's so refreshing and, and people like to see that. I quickly tried to Google the name of the reporter because he's not a famous guy and I couldn't even find it. It just says here, local journalist in one article. So I don't even know who he is. I mean, but he ruined his opportunity with Pierre and he was meandering around and it's frustrating for me to even listen to. The guy didn't even have a question. Why? Who are you to stand there and attack this guy? You know, like ask some decent questions. And if you don't like him, you better come prepared. It's like that journalist from the BBC that tried to go after Elon Musk and had no examples. You better come with an example if you're going to come, right? So, I mean, I understand why people like Pierre because I think it's just like, it's all, it's all we've got. <laughs> It's all we've got. But there is one other person that that has spoken up from for from the beginning around here, but doesn't really get a claim to fame. And that's Maxime Bernier. He's the leader of the PPC here. And he has spoken up from the beginning against all these ridiculous uh, mandates. He's been to many rallies. He's marched with people. He's He's taken the hits and taken the criticism. And he's also a good guy. It's just he doesn't have maybe the the kind of star appeal that maybe um, Polyev has. I mean, but things have got to change in 2025 and they have to get more clear about what was done. But the thing is, if you want to be in the government, it's hard to criticize the government, um, what the government did to people. And quite clearly, the people know what was done to them. And look at how we all are just quiet and sort of, well, I'm not, but just sort of eating it, you know, suffering in silence. I really think that this year should be the year where people don't suffer in silence anymore. You should, if something happened to you and you, you're a regular person and you were injured, you should say on Facebook, hey, I took three of these and I'm not taking any more, just for the record. Or just say something. But the fact that people say nothing about all the harms that have done is A, drives me nuts, but also how B, people are not even aware because the news doesn't tell them. But I can feel it changing. I can feel it it changing. And um, yeah, we've got 2025 to look forward to because we have to, this Trudeau and Biden have got to go. Oh, indeed. Absolutely. And, and it's almost a certainty that they will be gone. I mean, of course, we don't know how it's going to play out in the US. They're throwing abs absolutely everything they possibly can. One of the things that I've observed just on, on I forget, on the US pathway, that every time that Trump gets up and says something, he just is cool, calm and collected. He might get a little bit um, animated in, and obviously he should be facing 91 criminal charges by his political opponents. But um the the deeps the 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 establishment deep state whatever you want to call them they yeah. go the other way and they look panicked and every time something happens it just gets worse and worse these these court cases taking him off the ballot heading to the supreme court um, whatever seems to be possible and that says to me that they're not in control that they know something big is coming and it's that deception I think that people trust until they can trust no more it's probably no different in a in, in a toxic relationship a personal relationship 
relationship until that moment comes that one person throws the other person out of the relationship and says no more. But it always seems to be well overdue. Their friends said, hang on, you should have left him or her a long time ago. Yeah, yeah, I knew, but whatever. And it, it feels like it's, it's, it's a similar kind of process, but this toxic relationship that we're having with our government uh, and, and of course, with our mainstream media that we've been programmed to believe for so long. And so when that deception comes or that realisation of the deception, that's when it all breaks. And that's probably where I'll head now in this sort of this last few moments that we're going to have. Well, we've still got a few minutes, but um, it's the Jeffrey Epstein revelations this week. And I'm not sure if you've been following that, but I found that was a profound detail. The very fact that King Charles is in almost retreat now, having been told that he must completely distance himself from his brother, Prince Andrew, for his relationship with Epstein and, of course, the Virginia Jeffrey story where she, where he paid out millions of dollars, et cetera, but denied liability. But at the same time, I find it terribly hypocritical because for many years, Charles was best friends with Jimmy Savile and no one in the mainstream media wants to pick up on that. What did you think of those Epstein revelations? Do you think that that might be yet another situation where the people may realise that those that they trusted have been up to no good? Well, one thing we got to we have to be careful about is well, like we know what they want us to know, so we know what the media. So you, you will we'll see on the major networks, right? All the mainstream networks are all talking about Epstein, and the two names that always come up are Prince Andrew and Bill Clinton. Well, that is really not the news of the century. We already knew that that picture of him with Virginia Dufresne when she was like seventeen—that's been all over the place with Ghislaine Maxwell in the background. We've seen that, so this is not a shocking revelation. It's an embarrassment, is what it is. But but so we we're all waiting for the list. And then I think the biggest surprise is Stephen Hawking. Like, Stephen Hawking? What, what's going on there? But, um, okay, the list is like why well, it has Katy Perry. On a side note, Russell Brand could ask Katy Perry, come on. He could be like, hey, they were married. He could bring her on the show and say, what did you see? What was going on? What happened when you went there? One thing I have to say about the Epstein list is that just because you're on the list doesn't mean you necessarily did something bad. You know, you could have just been like this celebrity and been flown to this great place or this awful place, actually, and and not know anything. Maybe you didn't see anything or you could have been a celebrity and down and dirty and had some ter and seen terrible things. And that's why you're all tight lipped. But if every person on that list is silent, I haven't seen anybody speak up on Twitter. Have you? I haven't. You know, Um if I was on the list, I would be doing interviews. I'd be like, you know what? This is exactly what I saw. This is exactly what happened. Believe me or not, but this is my story. Why are these people so quiet? And why does the media want us to know now? Are they doing something else? Is something else going on that they they're distracting us? Mm. They they're they this is just slammed all over the the networks. Why? Why are they doing this? To tell us that Bill Clinton likes girls young? What do you think we we don't know that? We already knew that. We knew that a hundred years ago when he was messing around with Monica. This is not a shock. So what what are they hiding? Why are these celebrities not speaking up? What really went on there? Was this like you're gonna get on a plane called Lolita Express? Okay, why are you on that? What are you doing? That's not okay. So talk about it. I don't know. There's all this this whole other realm of what celebrities are doing and what they're really getting up to. But this really says a lot that they're not speaking up. 
they should be speaking up and the ones that do somehow disappear or end up being hung in a hotel room or something like that. You know, it's, it's, it's very odd. But one thing I would just suggest is that people should sort of think, okay, why is the media doing this? They're hiding maybe something else. I heard one reporter talk about FTX. While we're being distracted by Epstein, I think the government did something with that Sam Bankman-Fried guy and FTX or some other news going on, right? Well, and that's also a good, yeah. yeah. So just to butt in on that one, what no, we've yeah. learned was that uh, now that he's been convicted, it was uh, interesting that the Department of Justice decided not to pursue any links between politicians and FTX. So that was the uh, the bit that was severed there. So uh, of course, yet another pass has been given to that uh, fundraising that was going on. Very very dodgy stuff going on there. There was even uh, um, information that uh, FTX was kind of as a bridge between money going to Ukraine paid in crypto. So whether or not they were taking a, a clip off the top of the money that was going to the politicians or from US to Ukraine. It's quite unbelievable what was going on there. But oh, that yeah. is just looking more and more like one of the grand money laundering operations. As has been speculated on for so long, and the media doesn't even, you don't hear a peep about that, even just, just a snippet about that. But what you just said there, I mean, that's a story that no, you know, that should be plastered everywhere, right? And And we don't even know that. You know, that's sort of like, sort of like sealing the deal that all this speculation about Ukraine being this giant money laundering thing is a thing. So now we get to hear that Bill Clinton likes young girls. So that's what we're supposed to focus on. And this, and we're and we're all going to get caught up in the, oh, did he hang himself in that prison cell, which seems impossible. Yeah, how, I mean, you know, there's no video evidence and the coroner that sort of uh, said that he hung himself wasn't didn't even do the autopsy like all this juicy information is coming out because it is it is about sex and it is about money and it is about fame and it can distract us. And meanwhile, that's Epstein was a financial criminal before all this. So there's lots to learn. So anyway, it's a really I, good. No, yeah. no, I'm, I'm glad that you have because it's just interesting that uh, the snippets that we pick up on the periphery in terms of the knowledge of Epstein, I was on uh, researching the other day and I never had picked up prior, despite following Epstein for a long time through the news circle and, and the researching, that he was involved with this tower financial that turned out that it was a Ponzi scheme, but he mm. removed himself just before it was taken out. Uh, but it was it was a yet another thing. So indeed, uh, the man was a, a financial criminal as well. And, uh, and that's just part of this backstory so who he was he linked with and 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 what else did he know there was a uh, there's a there's a website called lifeboat.org uh, sorry lifeboat.com it's called the lifeboat foundation no one's heard of this thing it's got 2900 board members it's got 38 categories uh, from ai to space colonies to to everything that you could possibly think of it's got a mission statement that talks about nanotechnology uh the singularity of ai and if all of this goes wrong as we fight off viruses to build space colonies would you believe it? This is on this website. <laughs> Jeffrey Epstein was once a member of two boards, uh, the Futurist Board and something else. You can only now find that on the Wayback Machine in the archives. But it mm -hmm. specifically says that he was a member of the Council of Foreign Relations, the Trilateral Commission, and also part of the Rockefeller Foundation. And if that doesn't show you mm -hmm. how it is that a man who was a financier with these dubious connections, that somehow this climbs a very big tree, how is it possible that Epstein could be on all of these councils as a virtual nobody with that a financial thing in the background. How could he be so known and yet so protected if he wasn't doing something that he needed to be protected for? Yeah, he, he's, it sounds like he was uh, the go-to guy that did the dirty work and he was connected to some high-level people. 
like he's not he's not at the top of the chain there's somebody above him and for him to infiltrate all these like in space or science or whatever and to be so connected to politics because he was working with clinton a long time ago how did this guy get in here what's what's his story and even yeah so i i don't know when now he's gone so whatever he knew went with him but we've got his little girlfriend there Ghislaine. she's still around and she would know everything and her family is crazy not crazy too but they're a very powerful family the robert maxwell and her sister, or they, she has twin sisters that were software developers or something, and all their software. I heard one reporter say this: um, all the governments used their software. So th this this cabal or something is deeper than we understand, and that's why we're so oppressed. And now we're like we've been pushed down so hard because they have the power to push us down. But I guess we're sort of scratching scratching our way up now. Indeed we are and uh, we keep building and working and we never give up and more and more every day come aboard. Anita, you're one of these people that uh, has gone to the other side, the light side, <laughs> exposing the dark. Now, just before yes. we go, because we've run out of time, can you just let everyone know how they can find you on your website? Uh, you can find me at uh, anitakrishna.com or go to Twitter, anitakrishna1. Find me there. Excellent. And I, I'm, it was so great to talk to you and thank you for the opportunity. Oh, it's been wonderful and uh, an absolute delight. AnitaKrishna.com or AnitaKrishna1 is where you will find her on Twitter. That is the end of today's uh, uh, Sunday edition of Weekends. Coming up next after the break, Charles Coves and Mind Medicine. Don't go anywhere. Stay here on TNT. TNT.